LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I was ready to go do the next thing. And there were a lot of opportunities to go pastor churches of different sizes and different places around the country. And so we said, Chris and I said, you know, we're going to have to think of a way to figure out what we, how are we going to know which opportunity fits us? Because if you don't have some kind of a rubric or a plan, your head's just going to be on a swivel all the time. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Mike Kelsey. Mike, how's it going? It's good, man. Uh, I'm excited to talk with Jimmy Scroggins. Uh, Today, he's the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. I know all y'all are thinking, how do I get a gig in West Palm Beach, Florida? (laughs) Uh, He's also the author of Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations and Full Circle Parenting. And that's a great bio. I would just say personally, uh, Jimmy is one of my favorite leaders and has invested in me. And uh, Jimmy, it's so good to have you on the podcast, man. Oh man, Michael, it's great to see you even on a screen. And, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate your kind words and it really is fun to be with you guys anytime. Chandler, great to see you as well. Hey, great to see you, Jimmy. Well, just as Mike said, you're down at West Palm Beach. What is what is Florida like right now? I know it's probably getting a little hot, but it's still probably real nice down there. Well, you know, one of the things I figured out is whatever, if you're in leadership, you can't lead without conflict and there's always some kind of thing going on. So you're going to be frustrated from time to time, wherever you are in leadership. But what I like to do is I get in my truck and I get a cup of coffee and I drive down by the just crystal clear and blue water of Mm. Palm beach. Mm. And I just think, you know what, you're going to be frustrated somewhere. (laughs) You might as well be frustrated here. (laughs) It's only brown water where, where I live. So yeah, Yeah, Mike has that same drive up in DC, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's some Uh, nice things to see everywhere, aren't there? That's true. That's true. Well, Jimmy, we're excited to hop in here and just hear a little bit about your story and how God led you to where you are. So let's hop in here. Can you walk us through a quick overview? of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led you to, to family church? Sure. So I guess we'll just start. Um, when I when I first um, decided to go into ministry and I got out of college, I became a part-time student pastor, and then I became a three-quarter time inner city student pastor, and then I became a full-time student pastor. I did student ministry for a long time. Um, after doing that for a while, uh, I had the opportunity to teach at Southern Seminary and Boyce College. I became a dean at a Boyce College in Southern Seminary, working with Al Moeller. Um, I became a, a teaching pastor, uh, serving with Kevin Ezell at Highview Baptist Church in Louisville. Um, and then for the last 13 years, I've been the lead pastor at Family Church in uh, West Palm Beach. So that's kind of my my trajectory. So in all of that experience, I mean, there's a lot of different things there. I mean, you went from student pastor to a dean of a college. I'm sure that jump, I would love to explore that in just a second. Um, but it's desperation when, on the part of Southern Seminary, obviously. <laughs> and said, who's around here to take this thing over? Yeah. So when did, you know, throughout all that, even in student ministry, when did you feel like you were a leader or maybe somebody else called that out of you? I have to tell you, um, early on in my life, Chandler, uh, my dad was a head football coach at uh, high schools in the state of Florida for for 40 something years. Mm. And so I grew up uh, around leadership. And the funny thing is, um, a, a high school football coach at a public school, especially in smaller towns, is a lot like 
a pastor at a church because you end up having to juggle multiple constituencies. Um, you're dealing with a lot of volunteers. Um, you have to raise money. You're a semi-public figure, so you deal with the press every now and then. And in the stands every Friday night are a bunch of people who, because they have been to a lot of football games, think they can coach one. And it's exactly <laughs> like pastoring a church, to be totally honest with you. So just kind of breathing the air and watching my father exercise leadership and building culture and caring for people and loving people that were sometimes difficult to love. And my dad was a great Christian coach. And so I saw him lead hundreds of his players to Christ. That was a big mm. deal. And then I just think um, I got to be around some other guys who discipled me when I was in college. There's a guy named Bob Barton, who was the middle school pastor at a Baptist church in Jacksonville, Florida, when I went to college. And I served as a volunteer in his ministry when I was in college. And I learned a ton from Bob. And then there's another guy named Bob Tebow, who uh, was a missionary to the Philippines. And I got to spend a lot of time with him. Um, in my growing up years. And all of those guys were just stellar leaders in their own um, spheres. And so I think even early on in life through sports, especially um, I saw myself as a leader at a very young age. Hmm. So you said Bob Tebow, is that any affiliation with Tim Tebow? It's his dad. But But I actually knew Bob, you know, I knew the Tebow family before Tim was even born. So, wow. uh, Tim was actually a ring bearer in our wedding when he was like six years old and he's missing teeth. So, wow. uh, he's since gotten a lot more famous and a lot harder to get a hold of, but I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let me, let me go back to, thank you for sharing all that. And that's, that is fascinating to hear the, the similarities between high school football coach and pastoring. That really is a good, um, and just even looking at that, but let me, let me go back to you jumping from student pastor into a role as Dean of boys college. Like that is a role that, you know, probably weren't prepared for you're jumping into academia and it's a whole different world. What did that jump look like? And maybe how did that prepare you for even pastoring as a senior pastor? Well, I I think, um, when I, when I went to be the Dean at Boys College, I had never done anything like that. I had taught at the seminary and taught classes. Um, I had led at a high level. Our, our church at Highview Baptist Church was a growing multi-site church, and I had a lot of responsibility that that went beyond student ministry. Okay. So there's a sense in which I felt sort of prepared for And I had a PhD, so I had the academic credentials and had been sort of uh, breathing the air of the seminary. But the other thing that I had was great chemistry with uh, Dr. Moeller. And at the time, Russell Moore uh, came on as the provost the same time I came on as dean. And Randy Stinson was there at the time. And there was a bunch of guys there. Uh, Al Moeller was there. Um, Danny Aiken was there for some of the time. And we just had great chemistry. And so I understood the culture. And I think just learning the power of chemistry and culture and leadership was important. Um, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a jump in some ways because I was, for the first time, having to lead a large faculty most of whom were more accomplished than me in their own arena and older than me. Mm. And uh, I'd never done that before. Student ministry, I had guys who worked for me, but they're all younger than me. Um, So that was different. But I learned a lot of great lessons about how to honor people who work on the team with you and how to let people uh, who work on the team in some ways work for you on the team, let them be bigger than you in the areas where they actually deserve to be bigger than you. And so that was a great, um, I don't know. It's a great learning laboratory uh, for me. <laughs> and yeah, some of it just I, has to do with Al Moeller being willing to take a chance on a guy who was, I was in my young thirties 
and just saying, Hey, I'm going to let you, I'm gonna let you kind of figure this out. And, uh, so that was kind of, I don't know, taught me some things about letting some young guys, if you have some young guys who you see as talented and committed and you have chemistry with them, let them lead at a high level. Sometimes they can do it more than you think. Mm. I feel like your whole leadership journey, uh, Jimmy, has been being thrown into situations. Uh, so <laughs> we, we talked about the jump to Dean, yeah. but uh, this is gold. Was was family church family church when you got there? No. Uh, when I came, uh, family church is a legacy downtown First Baptist Church. It's over 100 years old, started in 1901. And it's a it's um, uh, what I call a, a downtown First Baptist Southern Southern, Southern Baptisty, Baptisty, Baptist church. <laughs> and, um, you know, when we came there, our church had had a difficult time in some ways, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of PR scandals, financially facilities. And so we needed to, um, you know, God allowed us to come and there were some great people there who were praying and ready to make some changes. And so God let us be a part of a, a lot of those things. And we're still, you know, we're still in process. Mm. And when you when you went to uh, the church at the time before it was family church, it, you know it was a, it was a very difficult situation. It, it uh, was. You you've been a student pastor. You've been a dean at a seminary. Uh, you wouldn't put it this way. I would. You really could have gone a whole lot of places. So how did you kind of discern <laughs> this is where the Lord you know was was leading you? Because it's a lot of young leaders trying to figure out you know, how to follow God's will and God, you know, there's different opportunities. God, is this the opportunity you have for me? How did you know this is how the Lord was leading you? Well, Michael, uh, about the time, I don't know, probably around 2006 or 2000, I came here in 2008. So around 2006, 2007, my wife and I just felt God kind of stirring that I was going to go do something else. And it would need to be a different seat in the academic arena, go be the a president of a Baptist college or something like that, or go be a senior pastor of a, of a church. And I had worked with great leaders that I loved. Like I loved working for Al Mohler. I loved working for Kevin Ezell. I have admiration for those men. I enjoyed every second of working for them and I would do it again. But um, I was ready to go do the next thing. And there were a lot of opportunities to go pastor churches of different sizes and different places around the country. And so we said, Chris and I said, you know, we're going to have to think of a way to figure out what we, how are we going to know which opportunity fits us? Because if you don't have some kind of a rubric or a plan, your head's just going to be on a swivel all the time. And I see a lot of young leaders whose heads on a swivel all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we came up with, we prayed and talked to each other and talked through it. We came up with three things. We said, if we go somewhere else, we're going to go to a large city with hundreds of thousands or millions of people to reach for Christ. Um, we want to go to a, a church that is in proximity to, or in relationship with a Christian educational institution. So we can sort of help train new generations of leaders for churches around the world. And then number three, we wanted to go somewhere that would have the potential to, to uh, marshal large resources to invest in the great commission around the world. And so we had some other opportunities that in, in just terms of a job might've looked better at the time. But when first Baptist West Palm beach called us, even though in some ways it was a, it was a, it maybe not, didn't seem as, as good of an opportunity. Boy, we pray. We're like, Oh my gosh, this is exactly, this is bam, bam, bam. This is exactly what we've been praying for. And so at that point we kind of felt like, 
if we don't say yes to this, we need to stop acting like we're about to do something mm-hmm. because this is it. And it was a great moment for us. That's huge, man. Just create that rubric, a rubric in advance, three things. And then I'm sure an extra fourth was the crystal blue water. I'm sure that factored in. <laughs> Michael, it's hilarious because actually um, it, it didn't. And mm. I'm glad that we have it because I really enjoy it a lot, but that was not part of the mix. Mm. Um, the other thing I would just encourage young leaders who are listening is I would encourage you to consider your life in seasons and almost time block your commitments uh, so that your head's not on a swivel all the time. Mm-hmm. So like, why don't you say, Hey, I'm in seminary right now. It's going to take four years to get my MDiv. I'm not leaving this church for the next four years unless they force me out. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to do this. Then when I get my MDiv, then I'm going to look around mm-hmm. and then, you know, go to the next church. Like, I'm going to try to make at least a five-year commitment where I'm just going to be here. I'm going to plug away. And then five years from now, I'll be 31 or whatever. And then I'll come up for air and look around because if you don't, you're just going to be blown. Or if you have any talent at all, there's, there's so many more opportunities than there are talented people to fill them. And so you're going to be blown around by opportunities and you're never going to be able to give the right amount of energy to what God has in front of you right now today. That's good, man. Let me ask you just in your journey, is there a pivotal moment that you look back on uh, that you would say changed your life and leadership? Yeah, there is, Michael. Um, when I worked for Kevin Ezell at Highview, he always did. Uh, he's a fanatic about mid-year and year-end reviews. Mm-hmm. He had forms. It was a formal setup and like you had to do it. And he was my direct supervisor. And so he calls me in. I'd been there, I don't know, five or six years maybe. So I was probably like 32 or 31 or 30 or something. And he called me in and he says, hey, listen, I just want you to know what a great job you're doing. And I thought, Yep. I'm doing it. That's true. And he said, in fact, you're it sounds like number- a, the setup jab. No, no. Uh, yeah. Well, just wait till I get but. there. So, so, yeah, no, he goes, you're our best employee. We're giving you the biggest raise that we're giving anybody in the whole church. Um, I really don't want to leave this church without you. You're one of my best friends, man. God's you're a gift to our church and to me personally. And I thought, okay, that's very nice and probably all true. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, I've noticed something about you that I don't like. You like other people to serve you and you don't like to serve other people. Yikes. And over the next year, I'm going to be watching you. And I don't want you to let anyone serve you. I want you to serve them first. And if we come back next year and that hasn't changed, you won't be here. Wow. 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 And so I kind of walked out of the meeting, like I'm the best employee I got the biggest raise of anybody and I'm about to be fired <laughs> for not being a servant. <laughs> but what a blessing. And uh, I mean, what kind of a person would love you enough to tell you that mm-hmm. and hold you accountable for it? And that was probably the biggest leadership like moment in my life where somebody just said to me, I love you. I believe in you. You've got the skills to do the job, but here's something that you better change or you're never going to be what God wants you to be. And, and boy, I'm glad he was willing to tell me that. Mm. Mm. And Jimmy, I'll say this, man, 
And I'll, I'll say it publicly just to, just to thank you. Uh, there was a season where you and I were talking about me potentially coming out there and I'll never Still forget. Still willing to talk, Michael. I know you are. You are the most <laughs> relentless person ever. But you took me and my wife uh, out to dinner um, and I'll never forget what you said to me. You said, Mike, I'm just committed to you. I'm committed to you. I want to be your friend. I want to invest in you. So no matter what decision you make, no matter what happens with the two of us in ministry, I'm committed to you. And I'll never forget that, man. That stuck out to me so much. Uh, and I'm sure that kind of heart to pour into others is something that was shaped in you by the way other people you know, poured, poured into you. So gold lesson for me in leadership, man. Yeah, well, that's all true, Michael. And it's still true. Mm. It is. You know, Jimmy, just even as you're sharing that story, it, it really is like so much of leadership is being able to, to not just get like, Hey, that was good and push past and actually have those hard conversations. Um, what would you tell a young leader? And maybe they're scared of having that hard conversation with whoever's supervising them, but also even for them as those that they're leading, what advice would you give for them to be able to have those hard conversations to be able to give feedback that actually leads to growth? I think, I think you have to, there's a couple things. One is kind of like Michael was just pointed out. You've really got to love people for them, not for what they do for you. Hmm. And uh, people have to believe that about you and it's got to be true. So there's, there's, there's two kind of levers that you pull as a leader. You're, you're either leading through love or you're leading through fear. And most leaders are leading through some kind of combination fear that they could lose their job, that they could be embarrassed, that um, you could somehow put some kind of, you know, pressure on their life, but love that you really care for them and want the very best for them, for their family, for uh, you want to find out what they want out of life and how can you help them, them get it? What do they want to be for the Lord? And how can you help them be that? When people believe that about you and it's true about you, when you're praying for people that work on your team or when you're speaking to them, it changes the conversation to where, you know, we talk, you've heard the cliche of uh, you've got to build a relational bridge strong enough to bear the weight of the truth that you're going to need to carry across. Mm. And uh, I just think that's so powerful. That's why we should be spending time together with people on our teams. Um, we should be, you know, work hard, play hard. We should be having fun together. We, um, we should know each other's uh, names and our spouse's names and our children's names and know, you know, what's going on. We should go to each other's, when our parents die, we should go to each other's parents' funerals. When our children get married, we should go to each other's kids' weddings and graduations. Mm -hmm. Those are the ways that you build the kind of love that allow you to have the conversations that you're going to need to have. And if you really love somebody, you will have the conversation. Mm -hmm. So this thing like, I love them too much to have that conversation, that's horse manure. That's mm -hmm. not love at all. You really love yourself so much that you don't want the discomfort of having that conversation with them. Mm. And so real love means that's how you feel. I feel this about you so strongly. I'm going to tell you, if you don't serve somebody, you won't be here. Mm. Man, that's I'm so glad we asked to follow up there because I feel like there even for me, it's like you might have been just having hard conversations without <laughs> focusing on the relational side of things and just really causing a mess. So it's a great word right there. Well, you know, going back to early days of your leadership, was there like one, which I'm sure you didn't make many mistakes, but was there one, <laughs> one mistake along the way that was the biggest that you look back on that maybe actually set you up for success down the road? You know, 
there are so, so many Chandler and there actually is a couple that were really big that I'm not going to share because then somebody will like record this podcast and play it at the wrong <laughs> moment. And I don't know what happened. Um, I think, I think that let me, I think instead of just sharing a one incident story, let me just share you kind of a trajectory that I think was a big mistake of mine. Yeah. I think when I was in my twenties and thirties, I kind of thought of myself as a young tiger. Like I'm on the rise. I'm, I know I have a good network. I I've had these different opportunities that God's opened up. I've, I've had some, you know, for, for the realm that we're in, I've had some early successes. And so I, th- I think, um, I think I tended to undervalue two things. I undervalued the power of institutions mm. and I undervalued the wisdom of veteran leaders. Yeah. You're going to have to unpack that. Cause you just said <laughs> basically like a cuss word in this generation. You said institution. I know. So the problem with institutions is that they, most institutions that are worth anything have been around a long time because it takes a long time for an institution to gain resources and horsepower. And so over a long time, they probably made some mistakes and they probably had some leaders that they're not proud of. And they probably did some things that weren't good. And, and so it's easy to critique them or say, we just need to be done with them or we need to, you know, whatever, reject them, cancel them or whatever. Um, it's also that institutions move slow because they're big. And so they have boards and they have decision-making mechanisms that seem to creep along. And then they, they, they follow a set of lots, lots of time their decision-making follows arcane rules. So institutions tend not to be very agile and that's frustrating when you're young because agility is the name of the game when you're young. And so it's really the name of the game anytime, but it's frustrating as a leader because leaders see something that needs to be better and wants to make it better right now. Mm-hmm. And we have a vision for how it could be better right now. And this stupid institution takes forever and I got to talk to it. And then I never get everything that I want. It doesn't. So it's easy to critique it and undervalue it. But the thing about a, an institution is it brings a lot of horsepower to the fight. So the way I say it is you can be a, a leader of something small um, and you're like a speedboat and speedboat has value. It can turn quickly, can get there quickly. It's flashy. Um, it's fun to drive. Um, but a lot of times institutions are more like an aircraft carrier. They take forever to turn. They break down all the time. It's expensive to maintain. But the thing about it is if you're going to war, um, speedboat will get you there faster. But if you can get an aircraft carrier to the fight, it brings a lot more firepower. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a time when you need a speedboat. But there's a time when you want to be part of an aircraft carrier. We need those two. So even if you're not a part of an institution, valuing the institutions that you're connected with or affiliated with. And then veteran leaders are the same way. Veteran leaders uh, tend to be a little bit old fashioned because they've been around for a while. Veteran leaders sometimes don't pick up on cultural cues as quickly as young leaders. Veteran leaders may seem uh, technologically or even culturally slightly anachronistic or out of step. But veteran leaders have gotten to be veteran leaders because they've gained wisdom. They've gained skill at living life. And I just think young leaders are often foolish when they, they think because sometimes veteran leaders take longer to say what they need to say, or they say it in a different way, or they have a little bit different perspective that their perspective is not very useful. But I think that's a huge mistake in the Bible. Actually, you know, Solomon writes a parenting manual to his sons and his grandsons. And he says, the number one thing you better value is wisdom. 
Mm. And you can only get that from veteran leaders. That's so helpful. I just recently kind of went through a big processing uh, moment for me and I was reaching out to a lot of advisors and, you know, guys, my age, I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? And then, uh, I, I had two conversations with veteran leaders and the wisdom that I took away from that was just totally different. And it was like you said, it's, they've walked through exactly what I've walked through and they're like, watch out for that landmine. Cause I stepped on it and you get to, you get to hear from them, their experience. And you're like, thank you for telling me about that. I'm glad I didn't have to walk that on my own. So thank you for that. Well, just well, hey, before and father, it's the same, isn't it? Like as a husband and father, if, if I'm having a difficulty, a challenge in my marriage or with my teenage son or daughter, who do I want to talk to? Somebody who's been married exactly as long as I have, or somebody who's had a daughter and mm-hmm. also has a 14 year old daughter. Or do I want to talk to the guy with the 30 year old daughter? Okay. Well, yep. I don't know who I want to talk to because this other guy may affirm my dumb ideas about parenting, but I mean, he just as dumb as I am. <laughs> I want to talk to the guy who's already been there and done that. Yep. And that's, that's true in a lot of areas of life. Yeah. Well, Hey, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. So, Jimmy, speaking of uh, family and kids and, and all of that, you you have some. You have some kids. You, I, do. I, I don't even know if it's safe if we can say you have kids. You have like a, a small like state. Uh, you got a band. <laughs> you got a band. How many kids you got, man? So we have eight kids, uh, six boys and two girls. Ages uh, 25 to 12. Um, Our two oldest are married. So we have two daughters-in-law and uh, then we have two grandchildren, a little, little boy and a little girl. Goodness gracious. So full circle parenting. uh, You wrote that, that book based on all of your experiences. And so uh, (laughs) a a, a vast array of experiences. Uh, We got a lot of young leaders who are listening, man, who are trying to juggle Uh, being faithful in the leadership uh, that God has given them either in the marketplace or in the organization or in the church, but balancing that with trying to be faithful in their leadership in the home and in their family. And so any advice uh, you would give, uh, whether it's based on your book or just in general about how to, and I don't even know if balance is the right word, but how, how did you do it? What advice would you give for young leaders in that spot? Well, first of all, Michael, I want you to know that I'm still doing it. So I still have four children that live in the home, mm-hmm. two in, plus two in college, and uh, we're in the thick of all of it. 
And so uh, we, my wife and I wrote that book together and it's not a parent, one of those parenting books that tells you, here's how you do it. It's more like, Hey, here's some ways that the gospel can help you have a better perspective on the inevitable challenges that you're going to face as a parent. Mm. And that's, that's more what it's about. So all, all that just to say, um, in terms of balance, um, I, I guess I'm just not uh, in, too much in favor of balance as a concept in this case. Um, I, I think it's really hard to separate who you are as a husband or wife, as a mom or a dad, as a pastor or a business leader, or whatever realm you're leading in. You're the whole person all the time. And so like I'm the pastor of family church. I don't turn that off when I go home. Um, I'm still the pastor all night long. And when they need me at family church in the middle of the night, there's certain situations where I'll have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I don't turn off my husbanding or fathering uh, while I'm at church and working in the office all day. There's certain situations where when they need me at home, I've got to go. And so I just think thinking um, as a, as a, as a Christian thinker, we should think of ourselves holistically all the time. I'm all of it all the time, mm-hmm. but I will say, um, I will say if you have to choose, if you're married, you should be marriage centered. That should be the number one priority and relationship in your life, humanly speaking. And then if you're a parent, that's your next priority. Your children should be the next priority and the next set of most uh, important human relationships. And then I think work and your vocation, what you get paid to do comes after that but I don't think you can do it like one, two, three, because if you don't have some kind of job, you're not doing a good job with number one and number two. Mm-hmm. And cause you've got to, whether you're a husband, wife, mom, you've got to, if you work outside the home, you're contributing to the uh, supply of the family needs. And if you're a mom or dad, like you're, uh, that's part of being a good mom or dad is to provide. And so, uh, I just think you got to be holistic about all of it, but I would set clear priorities. Look, there's certain things. So I, I do this and I think of it like this. There's certain things that only I can do as Kristen's husband. Mm. There's certain events that I need to be at. There's certain conversations I need to be a part of. There's certain things that only my kid's dad can do for them. And I need to be there to do that. So when there's a special event at their school or a sporting event, if it's at all possible, I'm the only one on the planet who can be their dad at that event. Mm-hmm. someone else can run the meeting that I'm going to miss to do it, but nobody else can be my daughter's dad at her school play. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I try to prioritize and think of it. So sometimes no one else can do this, but the senior pastor at family church. And I need to go do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I try to just prioritize like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I'm sure there, you guys have a better way. That's not the way it's just a way. And yeah, I was, I was thinking about writing me. a book on parenting myself. Uh, I, you so. should. <laughs> you should. You have a beautiful family. I'd like to read it. I'll just read yours. Uh, <laughs> listen, is there a, is there a book you wish somebody gave you when you were just starting to lead, either from a family perspective or or in your your church and school leadership roles? You know, I, I was thinking about that question because you guys sent it to me ahead of time, and I really don't have a very good answer for that because I think these different. Um, books, whether it's on leadership or on theology, all of them have their place at a moment in time. Hmm. So probably, um, probably my favorite leadership book, um, that I've ever read is good to great. 
it's a little dated now because a lot of the companies that they identified as great are now out of business. (laughs) I still think the principles that they identified are extremely helpful. And so I kind of think if I could have had those principles out of the gate, I could have saved myself some bumps and bruises. Mm. Yeah. Good to great. Uh, republishing. They're like, ah, we're gonna have to do a whole lot more research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like that well, great uh, company, Circuit City. Exactly, <laughs> right? They're like, oh, that one did not go well. <laughs> so stepping into leadership as a young leader and, you know, where you are now, you had some misconceptions thinking what leadership was. What would you say was your biggest misconception as a leader getting started? I don't think when I was younger, I understood how much the right kind of leadership is about loving others and serving others. And I think um, I told myself I wanted to have a platform for influence. And I think there was a degree to which that was true. But I also think there's a big part of me that was so ego driven and probably still is that a desire for a platform of influence. It may be a a euphemism for desire for other people to know my name. Mm -hmm. And I hope that as I've matured and gotten older and grown in the Lord, um, and had life humble me through some humbling experiences. I, I hope that I've learned to lead out of a desire to love and serve others more than desire for other people to think I'm somebody. Mm, that's good. Well, Hey, let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are just going to be short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Well, I'm going to leave out couple of things out of my ideal daily routine, but you can guess what that might be. <laughs> Anyways, it's a family show. <laughs> I like to get up pretty early. So I like to get up a little bit before five. I like to exercise uh, for about an hour. Um, I like to come back, cool down, read my Bible and spend some time in prayer. Um, and then I like to be either working, either work. Sometimes I work from home for a while before I go into the office Um, I like to be in the office for sure. Um, you know, eight o'clock or so, eight 30 or so. Um, and then, um, usually I, I try to have lunch with somebody every day, um, a leader of some sort in our church or in our community. And then, um, I try to do whatever I've got to do work-wise until four 30 or five o'clock. Then I come home and, um, do whatever my duties are for the evening as a, as a father. So if I'm coaching a little league team, I'm doing that, or I'm, um, you know, reading to my children or I'm tonight, for instance, when we get off this podcast, I'm taking my daughter for a driving lesson. Uh, I, I try to be home and be a dad and I try to do my best when I'm at home, not to be working mm. and, uh, to power down. Um, I haven't always done that as well, but I've, I've learned and, um, so I try to work really hard when I need to work. And the other thing is my family's very uh, understanding. Uh, there are times when, look, uh, your ox is in a ditch and you just got to work more. There's a season, there's a time, there's an event, there's something. But I try to make sure that um, I'm having adequate downtime with them and for my own soul. Mm. Yeah. Jimmy, what's your favorite personality test? And I love personality tests. I like all of them. I think the disc is my, is my mm. favorite. 
Um, I know everybody now, like uh, my kids' age, they all like the Enneagram. But uh, <laughs> I like, I think I like the disc. I think the disc is a little more descriptive. What's your, do you remember your results? Yeah, it's for super high D, super high I, and very low S and C. Which means I need a lot of help (laughs) to get anything done. What is uh, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Um, I do think that uh, getting up early. Now I know you say that's not unusual. It kind of is. I think I get up early. I like to get up early, and. I actually learned this from Kevin Ezel. Um, Kevin used to say, if you start your day uh, two hours earlier than most people start their day, um, by the end of the fourth day of the week, you've already put in a full day more than they have. Now, Mm. so everything's not a competition, but that does speak to me that there's actually more time to get more done. And if I find it, if I get up and get going and do my things that I need to do early, it leaves me more time on the back end of the day to relax, to spend time with my wife and my children and to give them my whole attention while I'm doing it. Mm. Excuse me. What's your favorite app on your phone? All right. I know this is cheesy, but like, I like the Bible app. It does so many cool things. I mean, you can take notes on it. Uh, you can put Bible, you can put Bible studies from our church on it. You can read out all these different, uh, all these different uh, translations. I love that thing. Yeah, that's, that's a spiritual answer. I'm sorry. I was trying to think. Of, I, that's my favorite one. I was going to say it's cheesy, but I'm a pastor. I can't say the Bible app is cheesy. I mean, I, I, well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's embarrassing to say that in a way because it sounds like you're trying to. No, I, uh, I love the Bible app. Uh, I deleted all apps, but the Bible on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. Yeah. Oh, man. What's, what's been the best book that you've read in the past six months, Jimmy? Um, well, I like, I like several of them. Um, I think, you know, gentle and lowly is one I'm reading recently, which has been really powerful. Um, I think, um, there's so many that I've, that I've liked. There's, there's one by the, um, there's one called excellence wins. It's by the guy who started the customer service philosophy of the Ritz Carlton hotel chain. I know you're like, Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. We, we interviewed him thing? a little, when, when did we interview him? A couple weeks we ago? We interviewed him a few, few episodes ago. If you yeah. haven't read that book, it is the, I know you're like, okay, so you're one of those pastors who reads secular leadership books. I, I, I do, but this isn't really a leadership book. It's about how to love people and treat people the right way at every mm-hmm. level of your organization. Yep. Because he talks about teaching the people who change the beds at Ritz Carlton. He calls them, he said, they're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, yeah. which means that anything you do to serve others can be vital to the success of whatever enterprise you're a part of. I don't know. I just think that the whole book just moved me with its sincerity mm-hmm. and its mindset of how to think of serving others as a noble pursuit. Man, that's good. I'm glad you pronounced his name because I can't. How do you say his name again? Horst Schulze. I let let Chandler say it. He didn't correct us. That book's phenomenal. It is. Yeah. Listen, Jimmy, what, uh, what one sentence advice would you give somebody going in the leadership position for the first time? Uh, take a learner's posture. Mm. It's hard for leaders to do because as a leader, you walk into a room and you immediately, 
identify problems and you intuitively come up with a plan to solve them. And when you're wired that way, it's hard to take a learner's posture because you think that really everyone else should be learning from you. And that's just not normally the case. That's very helpful. Well, Jimmy, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review to help another leader like yourself find the podcast. And we'll see you next week.